Hello and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast that looks at vintage Saturday morning cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended audience, still captivated by the glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I am Stephen Alexander. And I am Jason Thompson. Hi, Jason. Wow. Hi, we've got We've got an amazing pair of episodes this week, like we have every week, because every episode's amazing, apart from, oh, that Nightbird one. We didn't like that one, did we? No, no, that wasn't uh, amazing. There are many words I could use to describe the episode. Amazing is not one of them. No, but we're starting off this week with the Insecticon Syndrome by Douglas Booth. Now, this is a name we've heard before, and I think he's quite reliable. I think he's a pretty pretty good one, isn't he? Douglas Booth wrote City of Steel and Atlantis Arise. And so when you see that name popping up after seeing those two, you don't quite know what you're going to get. But I was pleasantly surprised by this one, I have to say. This one is comparatively sane. Only comparatively. So we start off, we are out in the woods, in the, in the park. And I think looking at my... I've done my geography revision again. So I think this is probably, I'm looking around Mount St. Helens in America, and I've identified this place as probably Coval Creek Falls, because that's a nice woody area and there's a waterfall in it, which becomes important later. Okay, so we've got Hound and Bumblebee are driving through the woods with Beachcomber. Beachcomber. Now, Beachcomber is not someone we've come across before, and this is becoming of a bit of a problem, particularly in these two episodes. So... Perhaps, Jason, what do you know about Beachcomber? Uh, I know that he's called Beachcomber and he's some kind of dune buggy. I remember from later episodes he had uh, a bit of a thing about the natural environment of Earth. He quite liked all the flora and the fauna. Um, And in the toy line, he was one of the little mini bots. My main memory of him is being a pacifist. That yes. is his thing. He's a pacifist and a naturist. Not a naturalist, a naturist. Is, oh, have I got that? No, the other way round. Definitely the other way round. I mean, they don't anyway. wear clothes anyway, no. but yeah. <laughs> That's a very different episode of Transformers. Yeah. I think we're going to have to stop the track here for a moment because there are an awful lot of Transformers turning up in these two episodes that we're looking at. And I just want to get this out of the way and done so that I don't have to say halfway through, oh, and here's another new one, and here's another new one. <laughs> so uh, let's let's have a look. So I, and I've got the list here, and I just want to check, did you spot these guys, and what do you know about them? So this is really putting you on the spot now. Uh, I, maybe we'll get to the turntables at some point. I don't know. Oh, I so will. We... <laughs> you, can, you can be assured I will, Steve. <laughs> I'm going to be in so much trouble. So we start off with Power Glide. Hey, you must be hot stuff, pal, or you wouldn't be sharing the sky with old Powerglide. Where you going? Joyriding, little bee buddy. Oh, yeah. Well, Powerglide made a sneak appearance an episode or two earlier, didn't he? He just randomly appeared towards the end of the episode I've totally forgotten the title of. Because <laughs> he rescued Spike after Megatron threw him out. A prime problem. That's the episode. A prime problem, yeah. yeah. So Powerglide uh, is a very... He's, uh, he's one of the very few flying Autobots. He turns into a, a little red plane and he likes showing off. That's his big thing. Yes. I'd like to point out, uh, actually, while we're on the subject of Powerglide, Powerglide's vehicle mode is a little red plane, but the plane he supposedly turns into is not little by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and it has the nickname of Tank Buster. It's a pretty powerful piece of uh, military kit. It's been It was designed, it's a good one, 
for an Autobot to have because it was designed to be flyable even with large parts of it missing or non-functional. Uh, it's a remarkable piece of kit uh, and it has it has a cannon on the front of it that is the most sci-fi weapon you'll ever see in actual hardware because it rapid fires uh, incendiary tracer rounds. So it basically looks like it's firing a laser cannon when it uses its big cannon gun at the front. That's, that's interesting. You're telling me Powerglide, for all these years I thought he turns into this piddly little plane, is actually a complete badass. Absolutely. That plane that he's based on is an awesome piece of kit. Oh, I'll have to have a look into that. Let's see if, let's see if we can find, let's see if we find a, a video of that in action. Okay, so talking of awesome planes, uh, later on in the later episode, we see Blitzwing, who is a Decepticon. He doesn't say a word, but he is in there. Blitzwing is the first one to turn up that is one of the triple changes. Yes, our very first. He turns into uh, an unsatisfying plane and a slightly less unsatisfying tank. And that's true in every toy version that's been released. The plane has always got like a chunk of tank underneath it. And this is almost perfect, apart from this big turret that's sticking out from underneath. Blitzwing also has a cool visor. Yes, he does. I mean, the triple changes all suffered from that uh, slightly unsatisfying. They were a good concept, uh, something that turned into had two vehicle modes instead of just the one. But each vehicle mode had to be somewhat compromised with bits of the other one. Blitzwing yeah. in particular is, you know, when he turns into a plane, I always thought the most unsatisfying thing about Blitzwing as a plane was the fact that he had two very chunky sets of wings and he would never, ever be able to fly. <laughs> He's basically a flying doorstop. <laughs> he is he is a hefty old plane. So anyway, I'm going to go through the others a little bit more quickly, except for the main one. So who else is the main one? We've got Blaster. And now a nice and nifty musical selection for easy listening. <laughs> Hold on to your dancing shoes and go, man, go! Who is a super main character coming up. And he is the Autobot equivalent of Soundwave because he turns into a cassette deck. Although we don't see any tapes at this point in time. Yep, saw him, definitely. We don't see, we don't see his toy in the shops in the UK either. He never came to our shores, no, indeed. Okay, so we have Trax, who turns into a blue sports car. Did you have a Trax? I did spot Trax, yes. Again, he only appears briefly in one scene and doesn't say a word, but he is definitely there. Um, yeah, who's, who's he standing next to? Can you remember? Off the top of my head, no. Uh, it's Grapple. Grapple. Yes, Grapple tr- crops up in, uh, in a couple of sequences. He's in the background a few times. Um, yeah. Who is also leads us neatly into one who does have lines in both episodes. Uh, because his toy was basically based on the same mould, Inferno. All right, buddy, we'll get you out of here. Yes, Inferno, the red fire truck. The and red fire truck. I've got a lot to say about Inferno coming up. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, and then we've got Red Alert, who is his buddy, his partner in crime. Yep, Red Alert, who was um, a slightly odd toy because... It was based on the same, basically it was the same model, a slightly remodeled version of Sideswipe. So it's a Lamborghini Countach, but it's also an emergency services vehicle. Now, I don't know any emergency services who have Lamborghinis in their fleet. There we go. <laughs> but yes, Red Alert was there. And he has a line. Just the one, but he has a line. <laughs> and then we've got Hoist. Apparently, I didn't spot Hoist myself, but apparently he's in there. Did you spot Hoist? 
Uh, I can't say that I did, no. No, he's obviously in the background somewhere, so I think that's almost all of them. There's two more I should mention, or three more actually, uh, Ramjet, Thrust and Dirge, and two or three of those make an appearance. They're basically the Seekers, but with Coneheads. Yes, two of them appear, Thrust and Ramjet. Thrust is the red one, Ramjet is the white one. Dirge is the blue one, and I'm looking forward to him appearing because I actually had Dirge when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, I am going to make a special effort to not remember which one is which. Don't worry, as, I know as, them all. <laughs> oh, this is going to ruin everything. Anyway, so that's it. So those those are the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven new characters we have in these two new, in these two episodes. Oh, there was one other chap in the background. Yes, which again I spotted because I had him when I was a kid. Smokescreen. Smokescreen. Oh, brilliant. Has no lines. And he's only there in one scene in the background, but he is there. Yeah. You know, with Smokescreen on the scene, you know that Blue Streak and Prowl are just going to have even less to do because they are basically the same shape as him, aren't they? Yeah, there's a lot of these toys were basically the same, the same toy, just slightly remodeled. Like, you know, the the three, the cone heads are basically the same. The transforming part of the uh, of Ramjet Thrust and Dirge is identical to Starscream, Skywarp, and uh, Thundercracker. They just had different wings and accessories. Yeah. Hoist is basically Trailbreaker with a slightly different rear end <clears throat> and a different colour. Grapple and Inferno are the same vehicle with a few tweaks to make them either a crane or a fire engine. But on, on the plus side, Beachcomber is unique. Yes. And it's Beachcomber who's leading the way through the woods. Yes. Bumblebee back, in, back into the events of this episode. <laughs> Bumblebee finds the road a bit too rough and he's not a four-wheel drive. He, he wants to get himself adapted to a four-wheel drive when he gets back. Either that or just send Autobots who are four-wheel drives. they got tons of them now. They've got hundreds of Autobots. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going out. They're going out on a little adventure with Spike and Ranger Smith. And Ranger points out that there are damaged trees. Someone's been chewing all the trees in the woods. And it's obviously something that the Autobots should get involved in because that's exactly the sort of thing the Autobots would get involved in, someone chewing trees in the woods. And Beachcomber looks at the evidence and he surmises that these big creatures are, in fact... Insecticons. And I'm not talking termites. I'm talking big creatures. Real big. To be fair, the title caption of the episode led us to that conclusion before they even got there, but, you know... (laughs) Yeah, and he's right. His, his evidence is entirely correct. The Insecticons have built themselves a big nest where they're all hanging about. And this is a lovely sort of termite nest thing where they're all hiding. Bombshell's stomach is rumbling because there's not much energy in eating pine trees. Can I can I just jump in at this point and go, robot stomach? <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. Intriguing. But okay. <laughs> that is actually a major feature of this episode. The robot stomachs are all important. Make a note of that in your copy yeah. book. But uh, yeah, pine trees aren't quite good enough, are they? So they're going to go for the redwoods next. Yes. There is a lot of energy stored in trees, but not as much as in fossil fuels or just sitting in the sun, possibly, if you have the right equipment. Yes. Okay. One of the features of this thing, and also City of Steel, is you get some incredibly short scenes which have the intro and outro. This is our first one. It's an entire scene, which is one line, which goes, gigantic robot insects that eat trees? you got to be kidding. That's it. That's yeah, the they, go, they go a bit mad with the transitions in this episode. And also, why is the ranger like, gigantic robot insects? You've got to be kidding me when he's talking to a gigantic transforming car. 
<laughs> are giant robot insects really that much of a leap when you're talking to a transformer? I mean, come on. <laughs> yes, he's obviously not seeing the whole toy range. Insecticons are eating the trees. So Ranger Big Silver Mustache, who apparently is called Jeff, is watching the Insecticons at work through his binoculars. He spotted them. He is very concerned about this. Megatron, the Jets and Soundwave, meanwhile, are up in the sky looking for their Insecticon allies. Which, again, I love that the Insecticons are not quite Decepticons and they're not always involved or mates with the Decepticons. I think that's a really cool aspect. Yeah, I, I like that, that they use the Decepticon, the Insecticons when they're useful. Yeah, but once they've served their purpose, he's going to exterminate them. Megatron doesn't care. Yeah. Somehow I doubt that he will, because that would remove a set of toys from the toy line, but, you know. Yeah. They're probably also cynical. Seem, they also seem quite hard to kill. They've been getting away with a lot of stuff recently. They're going so, to look even harder to kill by the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Megatron and his gang spot the Autobots, and they sit down, and they wait for the inevitable Insecticon versus Autobot punch-up. Indeed, they do. And I'm going to be a bit nitpicky here again, because Megatron's line is, we can observe our six-legged allies in action. Now, I know okay. the Insecticons are supposed to be based on insects, but their insect modes clearly do not have six legs, or in some cases, any legs. They Ooh. have tracks, runners, wheels, etc., but they don't really have legs. Shrapnel doesn't have legs in, in insect mode. Bombshell no. doesn't have legs in insect mode. Kickback has two rear legs because he kicks people with them and he's a grasshopper and he has to have legs, otherwise you can't make him a grasshopper. Yeah. But his front legs are basically just tracks and wheels. <laughs> so there you go. Very nitpicky, but the Insecticons do not have six legs in insect mode. Oh dear. Okay, poor old Insecticons. Uh, maybe they've got six legs between them. Ah. Well, when <laughs> they're in robot, robot mode. mode, they certainly yes. have, yes. <laughs> two each. <laughs> okay, so big bushy moustache guy, he doesn't see anything as he's driving along, but he does seem to be staring at his steering wheel because he's gone to find out what's going on with the Insecticons, but he's just like looking down his steering wheel, oh, I can't see anything. And then suddenly a tree goes down right in front of him. Uh, and I love, I love that Shrapnel then complains about human drivers. <laughs> so the, Red, the Redwoods are full of electrons. I'm just going to dangle that there for you, Jason. They're full of electrons, Jason. Are they? Yes, but then so is all matter. Yeah, good. All Correct. The, all atoms have electrons in them. So, you know, yes, they are full of electrons. Yeah. Uh, happily for Megatron, the Autobots arrive. You get Hound, Bumblebee and Beachcomber on the scene and the punch-up begins. What can you say? Shrapnel fires a grenade, lots of bangs, lots of flashes, lots of guns being fired. Bumblebee finds a convenient gap under a redwood tree that he can transform in and basically resort to the uh, highly sophisticated tactic of giving shrapnel a shove from behind. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is actually quite a poor showing for those three because what happens is that the way the battle ends is that kickback, the other two Insecticons knock over a tree, kickback kicks it at the Autobots and it rolls towards them and then they're all panicking and running away and they actually run over a waterfall, over a cliff. And the Insecticons yeah. think this is hilarious. And they've got that lovely thing where they echo their last line. Our enemies are falling to their doom, doom, <laughs> as the uh, Autobots fall to their doom. They do fall to their doom. We see them go down. Yeah, all it's the way. shocking. 
Now, Hound, Bumblebee and Beachcomber will probably survive this fall, but Spike and Ranger Smith will definitely not. They will definitely not survive that fall, no. Mm. Although Spike has survived some pretty impressive things in the past, so you never know. <laughs> Megatron notes that the Insecticons did well. He gives them a little A plus and a tick on their report. Starscream, at this point, like if anyone gets any praise, he suggests they should be leader. So he <laughs> says the Insecticons should be leader. They exchange some pleasantries with the Insecticons. So we get a nice line, Megatron and his merry mechanical men. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. It's a rather surreal image of Megatron dressed as Robin Hood. <laughs> Starscream, I protest, I am not a merry man. (laughs) Or is that from something else? I don't know. (laughs) They respond by calling the Insecticons a rust-encrusted cockroach, which is an absolutely lovely bit of language there. But Megatron, he hasn't got time for this. He wants to talk business. While they're talking business, we cut to a little tiny ledge. And on this ledge, we can see a couple of our favourite characters. Who are they? Well... It's Spike, Ranger Smith, Beachcomber, Bumblebee and Hound. They didn't go over after all. Hound is just projecting a hologram. You can turn off your hologram projector now. Sure glad it isn't really us down there. Yeah, it's Hound's holograms to the rescue once again. And as usual, no one will twig that it's a hologram. Yeah. And I also have to apologise at this point because I've got you calling him Ranger Smith after the character in Yogi Bear, but his actual name is Mike in the episode. <laughs> so I just want to correct that there and then in case somebody listens to the podcast. Not that it matters. He doesn't appear after this scene anyway. So No, Spike and Mike survive. Megatron has a feast of energy for the Insecticons at the Nova Power Plant. So he wants to take him to the Nova Power Plant. Then phase two of his plan is to seize the defense computer at Iron Mountain. So that's Nova yep. Power Plant, Iron Mountain, two different places. Yeah. Interestingly, Iron Mountain is real. Okay. It's not as it appears in this episode, would you believe? (laughs) It's not a (laughs) massive defence facility with laser cannons and things like that. But Iron Mountain is a real place. It doesn't have a defence computer in it. Iron Mountain is actually a company that is still going strong today. um, But it's a records retention facility. So people store their companies, store their records there basically um and it's it's called iron mountain because it's a depleted iron ore mine it's about 90 miles north of new york city and it was a it was a records facility and it's still going strong the company's expanded it's got branches in britain now as well so a lot of companies use iron mountain for data storage i think i think i've heard i think the point of that from what i've heard or i can remember is that it's supposed to be able to provide uh, survive a nuclear attack that it could that if everything goes at wrong, then Iron Mountain will still survive. They'll still have all the records. What good they do anyone? I don't know. But Iron Mountain will still be there. Yes, that's essentially it. I mean, you know, some of the other facilities of Iron Mountain aren't the big mines, but you know, <laughs> so they're not quite so hard against nuclear attacks. But yes, I mean, if you shove a bunch of records down an old mine, they're going to be pretty well protected. So yeah. Also living in a mountain are the Autobots, Yay! and we cut back to the Ark. And Prime addresses Ironhide, Ratchet, Jazz, Wheeljack, and Inferno. Now, we don't need to get excited now that there's a new Autobot, because we've done this. It's Inferno. We just know him. It's fine. And Prime says that the facts are clear. If the Insecticons eat the Nova Power Plant, they'll be strong enough to eat the Autobots for breakfast. Those are the facts, Jason. 
Those are the facts, as Ironhide points out. And then Jazz says, yeah, over easy and sunny side up. Well, they can't be both because those are two very different ways of preparing eggs. But <laughs> never mind. I, I find, I, I don't know if it's bad of me, but I do find a lot of what Jazz says fairly incomprehensible. And it does take two or three listens to pick up what he's saying. Maybe I should just pay more attention. I don't know. <laughs> he's not the easiest one to follow, no. Although we don't we don't want to get excited about Inferno because we've mentioned him, but when Prime says transform, we get a nice shot. The first one we see transforming is the new guy. Yeah, and it's not it's a smooth transform. He does it, it really is. well. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And Prime, in honor of in honor of a thousand years of history, transforms in the same way we've seen him transform about 40 times now. Yes. Having said on numerous previous episodes that one of the most impressive things about the Transformers cartoon is the fact that they don't rely on stock footage of transformations, uh, Optimus Prime's transformation is very often the same one. And in fact, later on this episode, we see the same transform sequence used twice in quick succession. So <laughs> it, it happens. And it's the, but it's the only one they seem to reuse. It's the only one that comes out again and again and again. So, yeah, all the, all the rest seems to be fresh every time. Anyway. So the Insecticons are at the Nova Power Plant and they've decided it's a fit titbit for a ravenous Insecticon. They're all with the zingers all the time. doesn't stop. The humans get their choppers out um, to defend. Would, would you like to rephrase that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought these, these helicopters were very action force. And although action force hadn't really kicked off yet, they, you could do this. You could have your Action Force helicopter toys and you could have your Transformers toys and you could restage the Battle of the Nova Power Plant, even though it doesn't last very long. The helicopters, interestingly, have energy weapons fitted. They're firing laser guns. They don't mm. seem terribly effective because they don't seem to be able to hit anything. <laughs> never stop the Transformers. They can't hit anything. No, they can't. But Megatron nevertheless assigns the jets to dispense with those primitive devices. Yeah, Thundercracker, Starscream, Skywarp are off, and they really don't stand much of a chance. Fortunately, Optimus Prime and the other Autobots arrive and start attacking as well. Soundwave unleashes Laserbeak and Buzzsaw, which should be of enough course. to see off the entire Autobot army. Of course he does, because this is a Douglas Booth script. Buzzsaw only appears to, er uh, to show up in Douglas Booth episodes so far. It's like he's yeah. the only one who remembers that Soundwave came with a different cassette than Laserbeak <laughs> <laughs> and likes to put him in every so often. Never does much. And in this yeah. case, it's Jazz and Inferno managed to zap both of them out of the sky within seconds. Yes. Seeing as Inferno blasts Laserbeak, who last week was absolute, who trounced Optimus Prime last week and Devastator, Inferno is now officially the toughest Transformer. He's stolen, the, stolen the title there. So, Jazz, what does Jazz say here? I have no idea. I didn't know that. Do I. Okay. Jazz and Inferno go to rescue the humans from the crashed helicopters. Well, yes, Jazz does. Inferno just sprays everyone with foam, which seems to be his bit of a party trick. Yeah, but he's just been introduced as a new character. You've got to give him something. <laughs> yeah, what's he do that's different to everyone else? He sprays everyone with foam. Oh, thank yeah. you, Inferno. Jazz isn't happy about this. Be just be, you know, he's rescued the humans, get sprayed with foam. It's just ridiculous, honestly. Just, to, just, to, just, just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that's a little unfair. It's not really ridiculous, given that Jazz is rescuing humans from a burning, crashed helicopter, and Inferno is a fire engine dousing the flames with foam. Uh, so it's not that ridiculous. 
he just goes a little overboard. It's, it's a good thing it's not that purple foam from The Ultimate Doom, because that would be a <laughs> ton of trouble. That would have killed Jazz off. It would. The Insecticons are making their attack on the Nova Power Plant, and we get to see a couple of white-coated scientists. Yes! Yes, of course. How else would we know they're scientists? Again, white-coated scientists who seem to be standing very close to some energy thing, which is sparking rather alarmingly with huge energy waves crackling around it. It does look quite terrifying. I wouldn't go near it. I, you're not allowed but, into those power plants and energy transformers uh, in real life. So, yeah, you wouldn't go near that kind of stuff. So apparently this power plant is heavy on the neutrons, but the protons make them grow to giant size. Don't. Okay, no, go on. No, I'm not going to say anything about that. It is clearly ridiculous. However, it makes sense of Megatron needing the Insecticons for his plan. Okay. Because, as we've noted before, uniquely among the Decepticons, the Insecticons have the ability to extract energy by eating stuff. Yes. So if this Nova power plant stuff is going to make them grow, they can eat it and grow directly, whereas the Decepticons wouldn't be able to do it quite the same way. So yeah. it kind of makes sense, which is unusual yeah. for a Douglas Booth script. What, well, it's, it's kind of thought through? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's not it's not clear how the Nova power plant is generating power. So what do you th I, like do you have any conjecture of how a Nova power plant what it might actually be doing? Nope, none at all. None at all. It because is a power who cares plant. it doesn't matter. It's a power plant and it makes the insecticons grow to giant size. And because they because they've grown to giant size, although their size is as usual variable um <laughs> in the animation throughout <laughs> yes. the episode um once they've got enormous of course they can show who's really in control and they can take over because you know yeah. they're decepticons at the end of the day they're going to be thinking treachery yes soundwave is spying on them with a stethoscope or maybe it's his little thing he had in a previous episode his snaky thing i uh, know it's actually a stethoscope because at one point he takes it off his ears or the side of his head and holds it separately. <laughs> he's using a stethoscope. He has all these other bits of equipment that he could use, but no, he's using a stethoscope. Hey, maybe the stethoscope's a transformer. Maybe. Um... Okay, probably not then. <laughs> <laughs> but the Insecticons catch him. Yes, they do. And they get him with the old... Bombshell gets him with the old Cerebro shell and takes over his mind. And Soundwave immediately capitulates and says, I am yours to command, Insecticon Master. Ooh. I so I still find Bombshell Cerebro cells so nasty. So yeah. nasty. Beachcomber, Bumblebee, Hound, and Spike arrive. So that's the contingent who are out at the woods earlier, having a nice time. And for some reason, Wheeljack and Ironhide are climbing separate electricity pylons. Did you get a reason for this? Only that it had something to do with them wanting to stop the Insecticons, although how climbing those pylons was going to do it, I don't know. Uh, and it turned out to be a very, 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 very bad idea. Yeah, so the outsized Insecticons attack and they tear the pylon with Wheeljack on, they just tear it down. And the one with Ironhide on, they actually electrify it and zaps start going everywhere. Ironhide is zapped and it causes his wrist... To, or his forearm to come open and inside his forearm there's a bunch of electricity as you'd expect and there's also a little tiny nameplate saying Ironhide oh I didn't spot that <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's really bizarre it's just like 
what is it because that's an Ironhide part or is that his name badge or did someone sew it did Ratchet sew it in for him I don't know maybe an episode we didn't see had the Autobots falling apart and they took ages to figure out whose bits went where so while they were sorting it out they just wrote people's names on them so they would know oh that's Ironhide's arm that needs to go over there (laughs) for god's sake don't give this to Sparkplug you'll only make it into another Frankenstein's monster So Prime goes into the attack. Inferno, Jazz, Beachcomber, Hound, come with me. Bumblebee, Spike, cover us. And I was laughing when he said, Spike, cover us. I thought, that's so ridiculous. He's asked Spike to cover him. And then the last laugh was on me. Spike has a huge gun. Spike's got a massive gun. Where he got it from, who knows? But (laughs) he has a huge gun. I'll accept I'll accept Autobots and Decepticons being able to pull guns out of nowhere, but suddenly Spike can do it. That's <laughs> that's yeah. getting a bit weird. It's a little bit. It's a little bit. But yeah, but they cover them while Prime and the others load injured Ironhide and Wheeljack into Prime's trailer because Ratchet is nowhere to be seen. Ratchet yeah. has stayed back at the Ark. I I love Ratchet for that. Stay back at the Ark, Ratchet. You'll be safe. Yeah. And Inferno sprays everyone with foam. Just because that's what he does. You know, there's a bit more foam coming from Inferno. Well, Ironhide was still sparky and weird, so he had to cover him in foam to... Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just to annoy him. Uh, The Autobots retreat at 11 minutes 53. Now, I just want to point out, I watched this episode on YouTube instead of on the DVD, so my timings might be out, but I think it's 11.53. Anyway. The difference for anyone who hasn't watched them both is that in the dvd the episode is presented complete and unedited from beginning to end and on youtube on the hasbro pulse channel which is well worth checking out um because they do have the entire transformers series on it uh, they include the little commercial bumpers yeah it's like the transformers will return after these messages ah but actually secretly i want the messages as well i think now that would be really cool to see some american 1980s commercials yeah 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 but anyway so they go back to the arc where repairs are underway there's okay i don't normally point out the animation glitches but i love prime's red trousers he's wearing in one scene (laughs) i think he looks fantastic in red trousers and he should wear them more often it's really cool (laughs) spike spike's been talking to teletran one and he points out okay science time the nova power core is incompatible with their trilithium stomachs. I'm sorry, Steve. I thought you said science. <laughs> They'll blow up. They've absorbed too much energy and they're going to explode. That happens. Things absorb too much energy and they explode. That happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, just look at the Cybermen's planet. That happened then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, another real-life science example. The the editing is slightly weird in this because they do the whole scene where Spike talks about them Jazz said, what, they're going to get like acid indigestion or something like that. And Spike says, worse, it'll blow them to smithereens. And then we cut. Now, at that point, I'm thinking, the Insecticons blowing up doesn't actually seem like that bad of a thing. (laughs) Why are we supposed to be... The the way it's cut, we're always supposed to go, oh my God, they're going to explode. Who cares? The bad guys (laughs) are going to blow up. So what? (laughs) Yes, let's all sit in the arc and watch it happen. Megatron watches us... Megatron watches us on TV all the time. Let's sit and watch him on TV for a change. Yeah. It's not until uh, slightly later on in the next scene or so that they point out that if that happens inside Iron Mountain, that will be a problem. Yes. 
Well, Iron Mountain is where we go next. And Iron Mountain is a purple-blue needle-like tower in the middle of the desert, surrounded by rocky crags. And the Decepticons have arrived at Iron Mountain. And Megatron tells Soundwave, important plot point, that he needs to assimilate all the info on the world's defences from Iron Mountain, which will make them invincible, and then they'll call the Insecticons. Yes. Plan? Good plan. Uh, obviously the slight problem is that Soundwave is relaying all this to the Insecticons because he's under their control and so the Insecticons know that Megatron is planning to betray them and Megatron probably is figuring out the Insecticons plan to betray him as well because he knows what they're like and so it's all a bit <laughs> yeah <like> stabby <laughs> devious devious manipulation going on all around Iron Mountain radios for help from the Autobots but Iron Mountain also has an insane amount of guns and shields and computers that rise out of the ground of the control room. I loved, okay, I absolutely loved their shields. Do you want to talk us through what happens? <laughs> they say lower the shields and basically a whole sequence of increasing diameter metal cylinders just drop down from the ceiling, enclosing the scientists in with the main defence computer. Uh, yeah. Without, apparently, bathroom or kitchen facilities, which is slightly worrying, but, you know. Or air holes. Or air holes, for that matter. Um, but, yes, they have uh, some enormous amount of weaponry, energy guns again, so humans have been developing things that are effective. And these ones actually are effective against the Decepticons because Megatron takes a direct hit and is blown backwards and knocked out for a bit. Yeah, I, we've not seen, like, only Optimus Prime's gun has come close to having that effect on Megatron, but these human weapons are pretty impressive. They must be from Torque Labs, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. It'll take more than those auto fools to shut me down. I said earlier that they go a bit mad on the, on the transitions with the spinning Autobot Decepticon logo. There's a really weird one now, because they do the transition that goes from a Decepticons to the Autobot logo... And we see the Autobot convoy heading towards Iron Mountain. And rather like a previous one, it's one line. It's Prime saying, Wheeljack, Ratchet, we need the antidote fast. And then that transition comes again, only this time Autobot to Autobot. And then we cut to the arc with Wheeljack and Ratchet working with glassware and coloured liquids, because that's real science. And saying, yeah, well, we don't want them to blow up in your face any more than you do. And then we go back to the Decepticons at Iron Mountain. Now, why isn't that transition there instead of... It's really weird. <laughs> I would love to see the whole episode edited like this, with like every single line with the da 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 between it and cutting to someone else and just slice the whole thing into shreds. That would be probably intolerable. That would be pretty much intolerable, yes. I'm just, I'm, I'm reminded of an anecdote that Richard Breyer's told about when he was given a complimentary copy of the DVD of Rhubarb and Custard, and he gave it to his grandson, who put it on at Christmas. And of course, every 10 minutes it goes, apparently three episodes in, his grandson turned to him and said, Granddad, make it stop. <laughs> and I think that's pretty much what we would get to 10 minutes into an episode where every scene transition was accompanied by that. <laughs> so Bombshell's in a familiar situation for anyone who's in their 40s. He's got heartburn. That yes. is if he has a heart. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they haven't got any Gaviscon for the Insecticons. Apparently not. The, the evil Gaviscons have not arrived. Well, that's what Wheeljack and Ratchet are making. <laughs> Space Gaviscon. Space Gaviscon, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Robot Gaviscon. Um, 
Uh, yeah, no, it's robot gab. It wouldn't be space gabascon. What am I talking about? The insecticons take control of the lasers using Shrapnel's take stuff over ability, which is great. I love it when they use their proper abilities. Yes. Yay. And the Autobots attack. Shrapnel blows up a big mountain and covers the they, the Autobots get covered with rock. Is our old favourite Autobots getting covered with rock? And again, note this down in your copybook. Ironhide leans over Spike to cover him and protect him from the rock attack. I think we've seen that happen before in some other episode. I think we've seen that happen before. I think we will see it happen again. <laughs> yes, it's it's a regular feature. So Spike asks, uh, Sp Spike recovers first somehow and asks if everyone is all right. Inferno is landed on top of Hound, which is annoyed Hound. Uh, and Prime sets his, late, his cannon to lightsaber sound effect mode to clear the rock away. So you get the whole zoom, zoom, as it clears the rock. I, I did a bit of pointless trivia looking up because it occurred to me that this is the first time we've had anyone actually say anything about how much these guys weigh. Oh. Because I think it's Hound complaining that he's got two tons of Inferno sitting on him. Now that suggests that Inferno is a two-ton robot. Now I look I looked this up. A typical US fire truck weighs twelve tons. <laughs> so Inferno is a very lightweight fire truck. That's probably because he's all made of plastic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Although no, actually, don't... I think Inferno was early enough in the run that he had quite a bit of die-cast metal in his uh, in his makeup. And again, two tons of Inferno. Maybe it's just a bit of Inferno that's resting on him. Or maybe half, like a lot of Transformers, half his bits are in some kind of pocket universe. Uh, anyway, that's enough science for now. <laughs> Soundwave and Megatron have breached Iron Mountain. Uh, and they've made, you can see this big line of holes they've got through all their <laughs> radial diameters behind Starscream. All these massive holes, in, there's four holes in a line. And Soundwave is straight in and he's assimilating the computer. He's doing his job. Soundwave is a good lad. Yep, uh, he's just assimilating the data by putting his hand on the computer and making it glow. And then, because this is a cartoon or a sci-fi series or whatever, you know that the computer is having all its data assimilated because the monitor shows an increasingly fast flashing sequence of random graphics. Does that and not that's, happen? That's how all computers work when you start downloading their data. Yeah, we all know you get the little bar across the bottom of the screen and the files going from one folder <laughs> to another. We've seen that a million times. They still use that today, don't they? That's still the that's still the graphic for files transferring. It's quite similar, yes, indeed. So Megatron decides at this point, and I think this is a mistake and he should have waited, but Megatron decides now is the time to turn on the Insecticons and destroy them. Yes. It's an odd thing for him to say, given that earlier on he pointed out that they were now invincible. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe yes. turning on the invincible insecticons could be a bad idea but more to the point he's left them unattended with the other decepticons because when he asks the decepticons to attack the, the insecticons they don't respond because bombshell has been busy yeah he's cerebro shelled 90 percent of the decepticon army by this point it's literally starscream and megatron left <laughs> Yep. He's taken and, over everyone. And it's not even Starscream because immediately he shoots Starscream in the head. But yep. Megatron, because Megatron is a bit more badass than anyone else, catches the Cerebro shell that's heading towards him, crushes it in his hand, saying, no one gets into my cranial cavity, and stamps on it, which yeah. appears to hurt Bombshell, which is interesting. Yeah, the, the Cerebro shells appear to be a part of him. Of course, in 
I think only a few episodes time, people do actually get into Megatron's cranial cavity. That I think that's a premise for a whole episode coming up. <laughs> Bombshell is very upset. And Prime, but Prime is on the scene and he tells Megatron not to blast the Insecticons. Okay. And the Insecticons go after Soundwave's computer data and send their now slave Decepticons to blast everyone. They do. And Prime and Megatron retreat behind a rock where Megatron says, Well, why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> and Prime yeah. explains, Your fusion cannon, no, fusion cannon referred to by name again. Yes. It doesn't happen often, but it is happen. <laughs> Uh, would have detonated the Nova Power inside Bombshell. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's always nice to see Prime and Megatron sitting down and having a nice chat. It's like Christmas, you know, in the trenches where they all get together and play football. We just love to see them chatting together. So Prime explains about the Nova Power problem. And Megatron's... He, okay, Megatron does something really cool here. He blasts the three Decepticon jets with one shot and knocks yeah. them all down. And yeah. Just like, just goes to show how powerful he is. It does. And then Ratchet and Wheeljack arrive with the Gaviscon. <laughs> the much-needed Gaviscon. Oh, I wish they could... T- there are days... I've got, like, a locker in the office where I keep my little drug stash, and I've got Gaviscon and aspirin and ibuprofen. But sometimes you run out of Gaviscon, and it'd just be so nice to have Wheeljack and Ratchet turn up <laughs> and say, ego, ego. So Prime and Me- it's time for Prime and Megatron to team up again which is the third time by my count. And yes. Yeah. They chase the Insecticons into Iron Mountain and uh, Megatron's ready with the zinger. A bold concept, Insecticlowns! But your game is over! Yes, a slightly odd concept because this is supposed to be the world's defence computer, but now the Insecticons are saying that with the information they can tap into all the world's energy resources. But that wasn't the information that they were getting so i'm not quite sure when that changed but never mind yeah big big w for whatever at this point spike runs in spike runs spike runs in and says no he'll set off the nova power explosion which is what spike is doing a lot of this week Uh, well not this week like over the next five minutes he is doing a lot of shouting and exposition but the insecticons are starting to feel the effects of the nova power and they shoot megatron through a wall leaving him rather dazed and confused yeah, Prime goes over and gives him a cuddle. Yeah. <laughs> Shakes him by the shoulders and says, you need to transform. Yeah, you've got to transform because we need to do this cool thing again. There is a nice, it's a very nice shot, actually. I really like it. Of Prime picks up Megatron and Megatron transforms in Prime's arms into the gun. Yeah, I think that's of, really nicely done, actually. It sort of flips him over, doesn't he? Sort yeah. of rotates him into the gun shape and, and just lines up nicely. It's absolutely brilliant. Folds up like a Brompton bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway prime prime uh, loads megatron with uh prime loads megatron with the antidote he puts these test tube files into megatron and megatron needs to fire it at the insecticons and apparently only megatron can do this yeah okay it's cool whatever and it works it works bombshell goes full wizard of oz and goes ah, i'm shrinking as he shrinks <laughs> he blasts kickback for kickback can get away and the last one left is Shrapnel. But Shrapnel has another ability we've seen before, which he seems to use here. Yeah, he summons lightning and uses it to zap Prime and knock him over. And he knocks the last antidote vial out of Prime's hands. Yeah, and onto the floor where it doesn't smash. 
It doesn't smash, no, because no, it's made I, with special space glass or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, you can get glass that doesn't smash if you drop it. But here is, this is Spike's moment, really. I mean, this is the best showing that Spike has put in um, for quite some time. First of all, he tries to reason with Shrapnel and say, look, you're going to explode. You need to let us sort this out. Shrapnel isn't interested. While he's zapping things, Spike leaps across, grabs the antidote before it's smashed, and climbs up a rather incapacitated shrapnel and rams it into his chest. Yeah, he opens up his chest door and sticks it inside. Mm. And, wow, what a brave move. Particularly seeing as shrapnel is clearly zapped with electricity and is is electrified. Uh, Spike seems to get away. But then, uh, would you be grounded if you jumped up? Would it? Uh, anyway, I don't care. Anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> there's a huge explosion of some yeah, variety. explodes. Shrapnel explodes. Soundwave's memory uh, is erased of all the data by this explosion, and everything he's assimilated is lost, and the Cerebro shells fall out of everyone's head. Yes. Like, people complain about Russell T. Davis and his Deus Ex Machina endings, but this is definitely one of those. But I don't care. There's two minutes. Get it sorted, guys. <laughs> Shrapnel's gone to pieces. He has, but we Insecticons know how to get it together, as Bombshell says. And this is, again, a callback to something we saw in their very first appearance. He fires something which makes these little energy things rain down on all the bits of shrapnel, and then he does something else with his gun, and shrapnel is reformed. Yeah, ah, oh, so cool, so cool. The Insecticons retreat at 21 minutes and 38 seconds, with the Decepticons in pursuit. And then Spike makes a quip that I won't repeat because it was very bad. And everyone laughs for 10 seconds in the yes. standard cartoon way. Yes. And that's the end of the episode. That's the end of the episode. What? I... Okay, thinking about this and going through it like this. Okay, the first time I watched it, it was like, yeah, it's all right. It's quite good. But actually just going through it, what a cracking episode. There's so much in there. And I absolutely love the fact that Douglas Booth has clearly gone back, watched the previous episode, read all the tech specs, and he's got the guys doing using all their special abilities. I think that's fantastic. Did you enjoy it? I did. I enjoyed it very much. It's a surprisingly straightforward, sensible episode from Douglas Booth. Yeah, there's plot MacGuffins galore, but he hasn't um, dismantled Optimus Prime or had entire cities rebuilt in the image of Cybertron or created fishmen and a sub-Atlantic city. Um anything like that it's a fairly straightforward plot megatron needs the insecticons to absorb the power from the nova power plant so that they are strong enough to allow him to attack iron mountain yeah fantastic and who's your man of the match my man of the match is spike for that last minute heroic dash to throw the the antidote into shrapnel and stop everything from being destroyed absolutely i have to agree with that spike saves the day on that one that was uh, an amazing move from spike so brilliant stuff yeah and this episode also has that thing that I said before. I love it when Megatron and Prime have to team up because they've got a bigger problem. I love it because it makes Megatron a far more interesting character that despite all his ambition to rule the universe and destroy the Autobots and everything, when a bigger threat, problem, whatever appears that he needs help with, he will team up with Optimus Prime to deal with that problem because that's the bigger problem right now. We'll go back to fighting afterwards. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's that, that's always great to see. So anyway, that was a hard, hard, a tough episode. Lot going on. It's time for a holiday. I know a great place to go for a holiday. 
It's called yeah. Dinobot Island. Dinobot Island. <laughs> There is a place in the middle of the, oh no, Pacific or Atlantic, what do you think? Unclear. <laughs> Unclear. There is a place in the middle of the ocean, a very special <laughs> place. It's uh, a place that Donald F. Glutt is taking us to, classic Transformers writer Donald F. Glutt. And that place is called, well, it isn't called anything yet, actually. Not in the Not terms in- of the episode. No. <laughs> so we got Bumblebee and Power Glide. And Power Glide is flying through the air, having a really lovely time with Bumblebee. Bumblebee's got a jetpack, and they're looking for strange energy waves, which is one of the things Autobots spend a lot of time doing. You know, there's the colonium crystals, there was various other energy waves. Strange energy waves, they love it. This is a bit of a weird one in terms of, this is the continuity of the Transformers cartoon. This first scene is written as an introduction to Power Glide, because it makes him, it shows him as a show-off, someone who loves to fly, etc., and he actually gets some character moments. And it would make more sense for this one to have appeared before a prime problem where he just randomly appears at the end. I think somewhere there's an official episode order and it is not the episode order we're watching them in or that they're released in. No, we are watching them in the order that they were on the DVD, which is not the order that they were transmitted, which is also not the order that the stories make any sense in. Just be grateful that Dinobot Island what, Part 1 comes before Dinobot Island Part 2. Yes, for the most part, you know, the continuity isn't such a pain in the backside. There's one really bad example later on, but we'll come to that. But this one, it's a bit of a minor thing. Power Glide appeared briefly in a previous episode, so what? Now he's a bit spotlighted. Yes, we get to know him a bit better. He's just a yes. friend you haven't met yet. Absolutely. He radios back to Prime at the Ark, and Prime says it's of extreme importance, which boosts both their egos. So Bumblebee's feeling good. Power Glide's feeling good. It's all good. Power Glide goes joyriding into the strange energy waves, which are sort of purple with yellow sparkly bits going through them. Uh, He's got too much pizzazz for them. I love this one. They fly through. (laughs) I I love this one. I've watched this. This is one of the ones I had on VHS and watched a hundred times. So this is like, this is heaven for me. Absolute heaven. They fly through and find an island that isn't supposed to be there. So as I'm saying this, I can hear the music from the scene in my head. <laughs> this is this is so good. Uh, and they get attacked by a fleshy version of Swoop, which trashes Bumblebee's jetpack. Now, what type of dinosaur is it, Steve? Uh, I have written down Pteranodon. Correct. Swoop, <laughs> Swoop was explicitly based on a Pteranodon, or a Tyrannowatsit, as Sparkplug said. A Plessio who's it? Yeah. Although I think that they've taken a bit of artistic license because I think the Pteranodon that we see is a lot bigger than Pteranodons actually were. Yeah, I think there's a... Well, uh, I did look up a little bit about dinosaurs. Pteranodons do come in various sizes. I think this might be as big as they can possibly get. Also, history is very big and very long. And who knows that there are many dinosaurs that we've not discovered and will never discover because they didn't happen to fall in tar pits. That is also entirely possible. There are also larger pterosaurs which are similar to a pteranodon, so it could have been one of those instead. Yeah, but I think the di- the dinosaurs in this episode owe a lot to, well, I'd like to say 2000 AD, but they probably haven't read 2000 AD, but I think that kind of like giant monstrous dinosaur, you know, that's way more, totally unrealistic, but way more horrifying and flesh-eating and apparently metal-eating because... They land on the island after Power Glide has 
bombed the Pteranodon. He's dropped bombs on it, which seems a bit cruel. Although the Pteranodon's fine. Pteranodon survived somehow. And they land on the island and Bumblebee recognises it from photos that he's seen when the Dinobots were being constructed. And he thinks they must be 100 million years ago. Yes, during what he calls the dinosaur age. (laughs) This is another bit of artistic license because the dinosaur age, dinosaurs quite often are shown coexisting in ways that they never actually did. Okay. Um, For example, the Stegosaurus that Snarl is based on, fossils of that have been dated to around about 145 million years ago. T-Rex and Triceratops, 68 to 65 million years ago. So the T-Rex and the Stegosaurus wouldn't have coexisted. Yes. Because the Stegosaurus wouldn't have lasted for that many millions of years. Um, that's not how evolution works. Pteranodon is about 85 million years and so on and so forth. So the dinosaur age actually covers about 100 million years or 150 million years. Yeah, well, they're, they're a lot more successful than humans. I can't see us going on for 100 million years, but never mind. Bumblebee jumps onto Power Glide and they fly off after being attacked by a huge Tyrannosaurus Rex-style dinosaur. Unless you've got uh, any intel on that, what do you think that green one was? Um, it's possibly supposed to be a Tyrannosaurus rex. It's more likely an Allosaurus or something similar. The size of the forearms and the fact that it had three claws on the end, when the T-Rex very definitely only has two. That's one of its distinguishing features. So yeah, so they fly back to the Ark and they fill in the gang on what's been going on. Yes, a lot of the gang. We don't see all of them here, but as we pan across, we see most of Sideswipe Ironhide's legs, Windcharger, Mirage's legs, Sunstreaker's legs, Cliffjumper, Gears, and Trailbreaker's legs. <laughs> yeah, the reason we're seeing all the legs is because it's Spike who's doing the talking here. And think, he thinks it would be great to visit the island. And Cliffjumper says that they have enough trouble with the Dinobots. But Wheeljack, who loves his little baby Dinobots, he loves them. He says he's been training them. He's been training them. And Huffer says that the, his efforts to train, train the Dinobots, it's Beryllium Baloney, which is a well-known line from the movie, but I think appears first here. It does appear first here. Once there's, a dino klutz, always a dino klutz, he says. <laughs> there's no cesium salami in sight. So Wheeljack, <laughs> Wheeljack gets Grimlock in to demonstrate how much they've come on, how, how they've improved. And he opens up the Dinobot cupboard. And Grimlock's standing there, ready to go, and he transforms agreeably and is all kind of nice. And Wheeljack gets Blaster into help. Blaster, you may remember, is the cassette deck transformer. And he's one funky guy, funky red dude, who turns into a cassette deck. And what happens next is, like, there's a whole bunch of, like, I know odd things happen in Transformers a lot, but there's a whole bunch of odd things that happen in this scene. <laughs> Yeah, Wheeljack says Blaster should transform and play something nice. Blaster transforms and plays uh, nothing, although there does seem to be the sound that you would get from a needle being placed on a record player before it gets to the music track, bizarrely, even though he's a tape deck or a radio (laughs) station player, one or the other. Um, And he said, "Okay, Grimlock, demonstrate your fine-tuned laser breath. And A, it's weird that Grimlock is using his laser breath to operate Blaster's controls. And B, that Blaster is letting himself be shot by Grimlock's fine-tuned laser breath. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, God, you wouldn't stand there, would you? Uh... But hey, we get some more generic 80s rock. Yes, I love this bit of music. 
Uh, I, maybe because I've heard it so many times when I was a little kid. Get down and truly have to down, yeah! Cut that racket! Uh, it's loud and it's causing, uh, it's fusing Ironhide's audio sensors, which is a bit weird. Hang on, that's also odd because it's fusing Ironhide's audio sensors. A few seconds later, everyone says it's great and it's fine, but there's no change in the volume or anything. No. It, they, they, they look at it as a complete success, even though it's given everyone a headache. Uh, but Slag and Sludge have heard the noise and they want to join in whatever's going on. Is it their turn to do their bit? Well, not really, because they just cause chaos. They walk into Grimlock, who is um, then just randomly blasting his laser breath everywhere. Yeah. It's and great. he tells them to go away because he's demonstrating finesse, whatever that means. <laughs> it's great. When they knock him, for some reason, his laser breath, it goes away from Blaster and it just plays a trumpet voluntary for a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really odd. Basically, the Dinobots are tramping on each other and zapping each other, and they're causing explosions to go everywhere. Yep, Grimlock's sweat taken out a control bank with his tail when he turned around. Sludge trod on Slag's tail, which makes him use his fire breath. Snarl and Swoop want to know what's going on, and they join in the fun as well. Yeah. And it's absolute chaos. As usual, three Dinobots is pretty cool, but you want to have all five in there, really, don't you? So Snarl and Swoop are straight in there. Yep. They're smashing consoles and crashing into each other. Spike points out that they're heading towards Teletran 1. Teletran 1 can't get out of the way. He's a computer. He's not a transformer. Spike actually points out that they're heading towards Teletran 1. <laughs> <laughs> He's very oh, yeah. excitable, is Spike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, there's loads of Spike in these two episodes. Okay, tongue twister time. Trailbreaker, pro- Trailbreaker protects Teletran 1 with a force field. Yes, got, got that right. Red Alert and Inferno zoom over, like from three. So they transform, drive five meters, and then start putting the fires out. Yes, because it's cooler that way. <laughs> yeah, we've got it. We've got it. Uh, Inferno does most of the work, of course. Ratchet try at this point, like with the design bot still causing mayhem everywhere, Ratchet tries to start repairing stuff, and he pulls out this big repair bay, and Sparkplug joins in to help, and... Guess who we get to see at this point? Sparkplug's favourite wrench. It's back. (laughs) Good old wrenchy. We love to see him. (laughs) But this doesn't last long because the Dinobots knock whatever they're repairing away. Yeah, they do. So Cliffjumper suggests that they'll have to fight them to a standstill. But Optimus Prime is having none of that. Yeah. He says, no, no, Grimlock will stop them. Grimlock stops stumbling around and... Transform and tell the others to stop. And the Dinobots obey. So Grimlock transforms, tells them to end chaos, and they end the chaos, and they all stand about a bit ashamed. Yeah, Grimlock sounds so sad when yeah. he says that Dinobots don't mean to cause so much trouble. <laughs> oh, they really are naughty school children, aren't they? It's fantastic. They but Prime is very forgiving, as he always is, because he says, yeah, I know I know you didn't mean any tr- anything, but you're just too big. Yeah, you're just can't trade here. Bumblebee has an idea, though. He thinks that they could train on that prehistoric oh. island. <laughs> Nala, you're too big to train. <laughs> Get down, you stupid cat. <laughs> Hell. That attack. Okay, are you safe? <laughs> I very much doubt it, but carry on. <laughs> 
Yes, talking of cats, outside is a mechanical cat because Ravage has been spying. Yeah, Ravage and Soundwave are doing a little spying mission. I Teletran one sensors obviously don't do anything. The Autobots come out of a door in the rock, which we've never seen before. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, well, maybe they've gone up on that lift we saw the other week. They've obviously been building the Ark and making all new bits on it, which is kind of cool. Yeah. The Dinobots are very excited to go to the island, and Wheeljack is, like any dad, is sad to see them go. He says, you'll all be back soon. I'll bet on it. But also, uh, in common with many parent-child separation scenes, uh, the children, or the Dinobots, are very excited to go and go somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) More room to stomp, more room to do our thing. (laughs) They're really looking forward to it. Optimus Prime tasks some people with leading to the island and that's power glide because he yeah. can fly and the dinobots can also fly again uh, don't know why and he also knows where it is because he's been there yes that's very Unlike useful like any other autobot who can fly and they also decide to send spike spike can't fly but he does fit in power glide he does very useful all the previous missions they've sent spike on have failed to kill him but maybe sending him to this prehistoric island will polish him off this could <laughs> be the one so. it could be it certainly comes close yeah. But I think at this point, Prime's leadership is lacking a bit because he says, go there and train. But he doesn't give them any kind of smart objectives. You know, it's not time measured. It's not whatever smart stands for, which I've completely forgotten. Specific, measurable, oh achievable, God, achievable, realistic and timed. Yes. <laughs> no, just go. go and train. Go and train. That's exactly what I do when I set smart objectives for my staff. Just go and do it. (laughs) It's a jet. It's a rocket. No, it's Power Glide. Yes, Power Power Glide Glide. with 12 eyes. What? Oh, yes. (laughs) No, (laughs) that drawn him with 12 eyes. That's how he spells his name. Power Glide. Dinobots follow Power Glide. <laughs> I, I, even as a kid, I was a bit frustrated that Grimlock said it in a complete... Copied him, but said it in a completely different way. Soundwave reports back to Megatron, and as an aside to Starscream, he says, at least some Decepticons do not disappoint me. There's just no opportunity he won't pass up to put Starscream down. Indeed. Megatron is intrigued by the island and they send Laserbeak to investigate. So the Decepticons are on the case, following them about. They don't appear much in this one. They do cause a lot of chaos later on. They certainly do. But they go to Dinobot Island, the Autobots, or power gliding the Dinobots, and Spike, in a very imaginative manner, names it Dinobot Island. I think I'll call it Dinobot Island. Hooray, giving us our episode title. And actually, even though it's not very imaginative, it's very cool. It is very cool. If you had a choice, would you go to Jurassic Park, Dinobot Island? Uh, I'd stay away from both, actually, (laughs) because clearly they're both very dangerous places for humans to be. Yeah. Uh, But it feels like home to Grimlock, although he doesn't know why. Yeah, he loves it. Yeah, Spike calls it an encyclopedia come to life. Remember encyclopedias? (laughs) (laughs) And the great big books that you had to read information from. He does reveal the inspiration for this particular part of the story, though, of course, when he refers to it as a lost world, making it very obvious that the inspiration for this story was the lost world. Yes, a classic story by, oh, H. Ryder Haggard? I can't remember. It's a Uh, classic, I don't know. We'll have to look it up and find out. But uh, yes, but based on a real real location. um, Okay, 
Uh, it's based on, basically, for anyone who doesn't know the story of the Lost World, they, a group of scientists find a mountain plateau which still has dinosaurs and other prehistoric flora and fauna on it, and they call it the Lost World. Uh, the inspiration for the um, the plateau was a real place. It's called Mount Roraima. Okay. And it is a huge, great big edifice. It's got vertical sides, pretty much, and a huge plateau over the top. But it's so high up, it go, it disappears into the clouds, and it has its own climate at the top. Disappointingly, wow. it doesn't have uh, dinosaurs in it. <laughs> Uh, but if you want to see it, look up David Attenborough's uh, Private Life of Plants. I'm so impressed that you know everything about it and you know all the science and real world stuff. But who wrote the story? I, it's Sir uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. It was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I've yes. never read it, to be honest with you. No, neither have I, I, actually. Rather like King Kong. I know the story, but I've never seen the film. The Lost World, I know the story but I'm, and with the inspiration for it, but I've never actually read the book or the story. So I've got no idea what's happening now, but Laserbeak is watching Spike as he lists off the energy sources on the island. Uh-oh, this is bad yeah. news. Power Glide says it's a good thing those deceptive cuckoos don't know about it. But of course they do, because there's yeah. Laserbeak. Laserbeak's always there. They can't keep a secret, these guys. Sludge likes the island. Snarl likes it a whole bunch. But Spike, oh, Spike. Oh, Oh, Spike. Spike. Spike is an idiot. Yeah, he's not. Re- After last episode's brilliant performance, this is appalling from Spike. He's wandered off on an island full of dinosaurs. So, guess what happens to him? Believe it or not, he gets picked up by a dinosaur, another yeah. pterosaur, another flying dinosaur. What with a very large head? Yeah, well, some of them did have quite big heads. Yeah. Um, so, he drops him on his eggs, and Swoop has to rescue him just before yep. he was about to become ham on his eggs. <laughs> Which is a rather odd analogy to make, given that one assumes that that dinosaur wasn't planning on actually eating those eggs. I assume they were going to hatch them. Yeah, Spike uh, Spike is very confused and clearly under a great deal of stress. Swoop drops him down and he is safe for two seconds. For two seconds. I'll be careful. I still want to look around. Oh, no, I've been grabbed by another dinosaur. Yeah, a plesiosaur sticks its neck out of the lake. Or do you say plesiosaur or plesiosaur? Plesiosaur. Plesiosaur, thank you. Oh, Diplodocus or Diplodocus? Diplodocus. Thank you. So the plesiosaur starts tossing Spike into the air and flipping him about. And somehow Spike is surviving being grabbed by this plesiosaur's teeth. And the Dinobots jump into the rescue. Swoop distracts the plesiosaur and Spike swims onto Sludge's back, who's waded out into the lake. Oh, yeah, it's Spike. A, it's a rather odd one because Power Glide hesitates because Power Glide is not built for tangling with dinosaurs. And they say, oh, but the Dinobots are. And then they don't actually tangle with it at all. Swoop flies around its head a bit and Sludge just kind of wanders in and lets Spike climb up his back and walks out again. There's no tangling with that dinosaur at all. In fact, much as I love this two-parter and I love every moment of it, we are kind of denied a big punch-up between Dinobots and dinosaurs, aren't we? Yeah, but, I mean, you know, they don't really want... I guess they didn't want the uh, the Transformers to be beating up actual wildlife, <laughs> even if it is fictional dinosaur wildlife. Yeah, that would get kind of messy. So, anyway, Power Glide decides that he's going to take Spike away, which is the first sensible thing anyone's done all episode. Yes, it's unfortunate, really. Basically, that whole sequence with Spike is just a bit of padding, isn't it? It serves no purpose to the plot whatsoever. I know, it's it's padding, but also it's expensive to animate padding. 
Yeah. So it is actually the sometimes the padding's the point, you know. Uh, Spike gets another huge black mark in his ledger, a huge negative thing because as he leaves, he says, "I'd write, but you can't read," <laughs> which is that's horrible, Spike. Think mean. about what you're doing. That is mean. Laserbeak returns to the Decepticons and Megatron notes that it is an energy paradise. Starscream, though, obviously because Megatron thinks it's great, Starscream takes the opposite view. What is the opposite view? He's worried about those strange energy waves. Interestingly, Starscream and Megatron have switched views on unusual dangers in since the last couple of attempts at big projects like that because Starscream has been complaining that Megatron's been too hesitant and now Starscream is the hesitant one. Well, it's a classic, whatever I think, you think the opposite. Megatron <laughs> counters his argument, though, with, with a great argument, which is this. Silence! We leave immediately for Dinobot Island! The Dinobots try some tests on the island. So, you know, they, they've got to improve their shooting skills. So they shoot some rocks. Swoop does some flying stuff. Slag does some fire stuff. Snarl does some tail stuff. And um, that's not my synopsis. That's exactly what they do. That's exactly what Grimlock tells them to do. Yes. Do tail stuff. (laughs) (laughs) They're getting better, but still not more better enough, says Grimlock with his poor grasp of grammar. But things are going to get worse. Things are still not getting more better enough because Megatron and the Decepticons have arrived. Megatron is so excited about the energy sources. He's standing there and he's just like, he's wet, he's sweating. He's going, oh, there's so much energy. So much energy that it is beyond the calculations of a Cybertronic Electrobot. (laughs) Whatever one of those is. We've still not seen a Cybertronic Electrobot. Starscream is worrying about the strange energy waves. Megatron is still not listening to him. But I think Megatron should be listening, given that this is a two-parter and things get very complicated soon. Yes, apparently there's enough energy on that island to control the destiny of the entire solar system. Really? One little island? well but then we see another old friend we haven't seen in a while the energon cubes yeah it's been a while since we've seen any energon cubes yeah remember those and they start draining the island dry and they're doing all the cool things with energon cubes so you've got blitzwing blitzwing going up and what they do is they point the they grab the empty energon cube they point it at the energy source and a big circular beam comes out and they suck all the energy out into the energon cubes. They've got to fill up loads of energy cubes. It's a bonanza for the Decepticons. Yeah, I think Blitzwing is just trying to look a bit more tough than the other guys because it's his first appearance. Yeah. Because I think it's Thundercracker who just stands next to a lava flow and pops the energon cube on a rock next to it and lets it suck up the energy from the lava. Blitzwing goes and stands underneath an erupting volcano and holds the energon cube up to falling lava bombs and things all over him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm going to do this hard way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Blitzwing's a proper tough nut. Also in the background are Dirge and Thrust and or Ramjet. Thrust and Ramjet. Dirge doesn't appear just yet. Okay, keep telling me that. Yeah. Dirge <laughs> isn't around just yet. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a ton of lightning coming down from the sky and Starscream says, it's a bad omen. And Megatron's had enough of his whining and just punches him over, just knocks him down. Yep. That's how you deal with staff, isn't it? It is. Swoop spots the Decepticons and Grimlock says that the Decepticons not belong here. So this is great. It's exciting. The Dinobots are going to attack the Decepticons. We're going to have a proper Woo! rumble. Yeah. We're not going to rumble. Rumble's not there. (laughs) 
a proper fight. <laughs> uh, proper be careful fight. the terminology you use with these fights. I know. I've already used five Transformers names in vain already this episode that I've noted, but there we go. <laughs> so Spike and Bumblebee, meanwhile, back in the 20th century, 20th, not 21st, 20th century, 20th. Spike and Bumblebee have been to the library. I bet Spike has had all kinds of adventures in the library with bookshelves nearly falling on him, librarians shushing him. It's all been going on. More perils for Spike. They have come out of the library, Spike saying, ah, oh, so much easier to research these things in books. And then they see a strange black hole in the middle of the streets with blue energy wells coming out of it. A weird hole appears and some kind of barbarian on a woolly mammoth walks through. And you know he's a barbarian because he comes through going... That's superb. I am so impressed. <laughs> well done. Which is barbarian because can you show me the way to the nearest motorway, please? <laughs> My mammoth is thirsty. I would like a drink. <laughs> ah, here we go. Bumblebee and Spike ran into, run into an abandoned building in the middle of the high street, in the middle of whatever city they're in. And the mammoth knocks the building over. And for the second time in two episodes, an Autobot has to dive over Spike to save him from falling rubble. Conveniently, an already derelict building. So it doesn't destroy anything that's actually likely to have people in it. They make it very clear that this is a building with broken windows and boarded up doors and things. Yes. Also, I'm not convinced a mammoth could push over any kind of building by bashing it with its tusks. Possibly not. It depends how badly condemned the building was. If it was already falling to bits, you never know. Yeah. Um, but Spike's assessment that the woolly mammoth hasn't existed for 50,000 years is way off. <laughs> no? Um, okay. Surprisingly. Mammoths are the most well-known prehistoric animal that we know of mm -hmm. because they actually lasted into coexistence with modern or what you might call evolutionary speaking modern humans so most of them died out about ten thousand years ago but there have been some fossil remains or frozen remains that have been dated to about four thousand years ago Blimey. which is about the same time as the pyramids were built the great pyramids in egypt ah. so mammoths and human civilizations actually overlapped so there could conceivably be barbarians riding on mammoths. And this is not a complete very anachronism. Definitely. Excellent. Yep, no, very definitely. Uh, we know a huge amount about them because not only do we have fossilised remains of some of the older ones, but whole specimens that have been frozen in the Arctic tundra have been found. So we've actually got you know whole mammoths, basically, that have preserved all the soft tissues and things. Because fossils... We, we have educated guesses as to what most dinosaurs look like because all we've got is their bones. Yes. Uh, and we kind of, and they're not conveniently all put together in the right way either. So we kind of make educated guesses about how they go together and then how they walked, how they stood, what their mm. skin was like and so on and so forth. But we actually have real whole samples almost of woolly mammoths and people drew pictures of them. Ancient peoples drew pictures of them. So we have art depicting yeah. them. So we know that humans and woolly mammoths coexisted. That's really because like uh, a couple of things. So firstly, mammoths, if we only had the bones, I would we assume that they were woolly? Would we know that they had fur? Possibly not. Perhaps not. Because people are still arguing about whether dinosaurs have feathers. Also, yeah. one of the few dinosaur facts I remember that's any good is about the iguanodon who has a big thumb bone, you know, they have big, big thumbs. But originally they thought it went on the end of the nose. And then yes. they checked it and worked it out and they said, it can't have gone on the end of the nose, doesn't fit there, it actually goes on their thumbs, which is, I think is very interesting. 
and they've had whole arguments about whether dinosaurs, some of them were bipedal or quadrupedal because of the way their bones go and all that kind of thing. So the Stegosaurus is one because it has much bigger back legs than front legs. A lot of people thought that perhaps it actually walked on its back legs, but it seems uh, unlikely given the structure of the front legs. The other one I saw in the Natural History Museum that I, I also think should get more of an airing is they found a huge pair of Tyrannosaurus Rex style arms, which are much bigger than a Tyrannosaurus Rex arms, but they didn't find the rest of it. They've just got the arms. So there may be, but we don't know what they connect to. It could be anything. It could be absolutely anything. I mean, the Natural History Museum gives a great example of, gave a great example of how our understanding of dinosaurs changed over time. Because when I first went to it, when I was about seven, uh, Dippy, the famous Diplodocus skeleton that used to be in the main entrance, uh, was depicted much as Sludge is, as a sauropod with its tail resting on the ground and its neck, its head way up on a huge long neck way above us. And at some point the consensus was that actually that wouldn't work. They couldn't walk like that. They couldn't work like that. So actually they probably most of the time had their necks more or less parallel to the ground and their tails pointing out as sort of cantilevered balances. And so they redid the skeleton to look like that instead. And then they replaced it with a blue whale. (laughs) Yes, which we're all very sad about. However, if they wanted to find out what dinosaurs were really like, they should have watched the next sequence of Dinobot Island, which features a ton of dinosaurs. It certainly does, yes. In order to distract the Dinobots and stop them from attacking the Decepticons, the Dinobots are very effective and have, you know, they've watched videos of the Dinobots trashing the Decepticons and gone, oh, that was so embarrassing. Megatron has a plan. So he flies towards the Dinobots and he easily evades their fire from the ground level. We've seen what rushed shots they were. And he starts organising a dinosaur stampede. By tempting them by flying around their heads, using his fusion cannon to blast things and herd them towards the Dinobots. So they drive the Dinobots back and the Dinobots are going back and back and back. And suddenly they're on a cliff edge. So whatever they were, they are now on the cliff edge. And they're falling off the cliff edge and they fall into a tar pit. They certainly do. Yeah, Grimlock and co. slowly sink out of sight. And, oh, what what do you think of this? This bit's really heartbreaking. It's terrible. They don't even cut to, you know, the Dinobots struggling in the tar pit. They actually completely get submerged and disappear under it. It's... Yeah, it is heartbreaking. I mean, when you think about it, they're robots, so not really sure how much damage a tar pit would do to them. But yeah, so it's, and then it's farewell, Dinobots, farewell, Megatron, laughing into the end of the episode, and yeah. that's it. Always reminds me also of a comic strip with the Dinobots in one of the Transformers annuals. Ah, yes. So there's a big thing in the comics where the Dinobots landed on Earth millions of years ago, had a punch up with Shockwave, and fell into a tar pit. And were revived today. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when they fell into the tar pit here, I, like, part of my brain thought, well, surely they'll just go to that island today, wherever that island is now, and then pick the Dinobots up later. That'd be so cool, but they don't do that. So I did I did really, really like that. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And the preview of the next episode promises time warps all over the world in the exciting conclusion of Dinobot Island. As far as I can make out, this is the first episode, possibly, of the series without a single Decepticon retreat. 
We've had two and three parters before, but the Sepsicons have always had a little retreat in the middle or a, or a minor <laughs> fallback here. But this is the first time. No Decepticon retreats whatsoever. They are just pushing forward. So that's no one. No one has retreated. It's no. It's it's not a proper episode of Transformers without a retreat. No, this time they pad it out by getting Spike to get eaten by dinosaurs repeatedly. Yes, I mean that that's an unfortunate bit, and it is that bit did irritate me the fact that he. <laughs> If he just had the one encounter with a dinosaur, that's fine. But the fact that he gets rescued, put down, and immediately gets into trouble again. Oh, it's Spike. Just, uh, it's that, that, that bit irritated me. But other than that, I thought it was a good solid part one of a two-part story. The only problem with that is that I have not been able to pick a man of the match because the story hasn't finished. No one has really stood out at this point. So... Uh, well, it's not Spike, is it? That's it's for sure. It's definitely not Spike, no. After last episode's <laughs> heroic showing, in this one, he's just an idiot. Yeah. Well, for me, it's got to be Power Glide. Power Glide for having a great time, for doing some aerial tipsickery, whatever that is, and just having... He's just got lots of great dialogue, you know, like wandering about the island and going, oh, it's a bit boondockish for old Power Glide. <laughs> it's just fantastic stuff. So, yeah, so I love Fair Power enough. Glide in this one, yeah. Fair enough. He took a chance doing aerial aerobatics with Spike in because he may have been uh, one of the early Autobots to discover what happens when you um, shake a human around too much sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I don't much... think he'd have been very impressed. <laughs> Does Power Glide have sick bags? We may never know. We, we may, may never, never know. know. I don't think they ever include that in the... In an episode, but uh, it's not bad, and a whole bunch of new characters appear because, of course, there's a whole wave of new toys in the shop, so they've got to start appearing so yeah. that we all want to buy them. I do, I do, I do want to. I, I want to buy that guy standing in the background, Grapple or whatever his name I, was. I want, I want an Inferno. I want to know who those guys standing in the background didn't say anything were. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read their tech specs. I want to. I, I would definitely want a blaster, but you know, although I did actually, I made a point. They. Like about uh, seven or eight months ago, they released Blaster. They released new versions of Blaster and Perceptor. And I went to a shop in the UK and bought Blaster and Perceptor just because you you never could as a kid. I'm so exciting. <laughs> so we go. You never could. I had Power Glide. Ah, Power Glide's cute. Yeah, he needs a reissue. He's a he's a damn fine robot. He was uh, he was all right. He was um he was a mini bot. His top half was quite fun the way it transformed with the wings twisting and folding and his arms emerging from them and turning his head around but his feet you just like pull the tail section out on the plane and that's it he doesn't have separate legs or anything so that that i found quite disappointing he's he's lacking in the feet department although he does have very you know he's got proper movable arms where a lot of them are quite bricky with their arms he does have good articulation in the arms actually yeah he has he can he can do a lot a lot of poses with his arms so that was quite cool all that remains to say is thank you for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Stephen Alexander, co-hosting with Jason Thompson. We'll be back next week with another action-packed double bill. But until then, keep demonstrating the finesse. Whatever that is. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. Thank you.